Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Upside Swings Draft Podcast, the podcast with the highest ceiling, and officially your NBA draft podcast for the Rise Podcast Network. Uh, we are here with Rise to bring you everything and anything NBA draft related. Hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Upside Swings Draft Podcast, the podcast with the highest ceiling. I'm your host, Bryce Hendricks, joined as always by the great Stone Hansen. We're bringing on a great guest, uh, first time guest to the show. Matt Moore, uh, I can't say his Twitter or his Twitter name. It's at HP Hoops, I think, or HP Basketball. One of just seriously one of the smartest minds out there. Writes a ton of great stuff, and we're going to talk about some some uh, sophomore, junior type NBA guys who are expecting to take big leaps or have a lot of pressure on their shoulders, whatever it may be. Some interesting sort of NBA developmental cases to go along with the college developmental cases we've talked about. So, uh, Matt, my friend, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? I'm great, man. Uh, you know, long weekend was nice, though. Saturday was rough for me as a Kook fan. Uh, I don't know if you guys pay any attention to college football, but uh, that was a rough day. But yeah. other than that, it's, it's been pretty good. Uh, Stone, how are you? Uh, doing well. Um, this is our second pod we're recording today, but uh, I've still got the adrenaline going, so it should be a fun podcast. Absolutely. Who would have thought? three months from the or not three months but like you know a little bit from uh the nba season we'd be recording like five times a week already so uh you know this is this is what we do here um but why don't not for any maybe unfamiliar listeners of ours why don't you just tell the people what you do and where they can find you and uh just give yourself a little introduction Sure. I'm Matt Moore. I'm senior NBA writer at the Action Network. Uh, I worked at CBS Sports from 2010 till 2018 when I joined the Action Network. Uh, I primarily write analysis pieces with a betting kind of slant, but I also do a lot of journalism stuff. Uh, interviewed Paul George in OKC during his MVP candidacy season. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I started, got started in 2007 in the Stone Ages uh, with my blog, Hardwood Paroxysm, which is what my site or my Twitter handle is named after. Uh, famous alums from Hardwood Paroxysm include Zach Harper, Rob Mahoney of The Ringer, uh, Sirat Soe, uh, Jared Dubin of 538, Seth Partnow, uh, the athletic, formerly of the athletic, um, now still part time of the athletic. Um, yeah, so that's kind of me. Yeah, absolutely. One of the best to do it for sure. Um, I'm a huge fan of your. I'm not always into betting, but when I when I think about it, I definitely go to you. It's illegal in my state, so I kind of, I just I kind of watch it from afar. But I, I enjoy thinking about it, especially over unders. Uh, but we're not here to talk about over unders. We are here to talk about some interesting developmental context. Um, I want to start like sort of at the top of the 2019 draft. And that was Zion and Jaw. Uh, these are two, the Pelicans and the Grizzlies are two teams almost intrinsically linked at this point, not only for that draft, but for sort of they're both kind of overachieving in those team, in those players' rookie years. And then, of course, the trade that was made this year uh, and sort of the opposite trajectories they're kind of on right now where it seems like the Grizzlies are purposefully fading and the Pelicans are, are trying to really make that playoff push. So specifically through a lens of how these players are developing, uh, how, how do you like, we'll start with the Pelicans. How do you like 
what the Pelicans uh, offseason did for trying to get Zion to that next level and turn him into that real MVP caliber player. I mean, I don't think he can be over the moon about it. I think, like, I like Devontae Graham a lot. I interviewed him for a most improved player candidacy article a couple of years ago. I was really impressed with him. Um, I think he's a terrific shooter, obviously struggles inside the arc. But you want the spacing around Zion, and I get it. One of my concerns, I've, I have two primary concerns with the Pelicans and, and Zion, I think, at the center of it, because everything with the Pelicans is about Zion. The first is I'm not necessarily sold on the – chemistry between him and Brandon Ingram it improved a lot last season I find that Ingram does a lot of dribble 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 oh no the clock's up uh here and gives it to Zion and Zion will often make something of it but those two don't have a whole lot of trust between each other for having been teammates as long as they have I don't feel like now again I think that they improved it last year I saw some good things from Ingram in terms of getting more like okay here's what we're gonna do we're gonna run pick and roll and I'm gonna find you in the pocket pass and like doing those type of things I don't love Ingram as kind of the primary creator as part of it and with Zion switching to more point Zion um, I think it's hard to find like a real a great way to use Ingram because he's too skinny to really use as a screener consistently um, and you can do some stuff with him on cuts and, and short drops and kickouts and things like that. But in general, um, I feel like Zion would be better off with a pair of high IQ, efficient, low usage guards, and then some athletic wings around him rather than what they've kind of gone for, which is like pure shoot. They've made several attempts like JJ Redick and now Devontae Graham at like pure shooter concepts. And I get needing the spacing around Zion. But ultimately, I think, you know, you'd be better off with, I think, trying to find super high IQ guys that will continue to find him in spots. They're going to miss Lonzo, I think, quite a bit this season. And I'm not a Lonzo guy. <laughs> like, I've just never been really high on him. But what he specifically brought to Zion was really crucial. I think they're going to miss him. The second thing is just, I haven't liked their chemistry. And this is like a real, you know, just watching them on film and what you hear for, through league people and all this kind of stuff. I just, I genuinely always kind of have a concern for how much they are invested. I'm hopeful that Willie green can come in and maybe get them engaged and they'll come in and really be excited and buy in and get close. Like the chemistry will kind of shift this season, but every time I've watched them over since really since Zion came, there has been this like very heavy sense of just these guys don't like playing together. And it seems very evident to me every time I watch them. Yeah. I think I'm in agreement that uh, watching them was a really interesting experience last year. Zion is one of like my favorite players to watch maybe ever. I mean, his just pure like dominance in terms of driving is something I've never seen in my in my lifetime so it's he's like one of my favorite players to watch but there's definitely a little bit of uh of that issue that that you're talking about where they're sort of lacking like high feel playmakers around them that's a why a part of me really likes like Najee Marshall and and Herb Jones next to Zion more yeah. than I like a Brandon Ingram I mean if you could just completely stagger those two and only play them like at the beginning and end of games like four minutes together and then other than that have them be basically completely staggered maybe there's something there but i i actually don't hate what they did this offseason i really like the Devonte grant fit with zion mainly because i think he can be a quick decision maker he's a really good shooter 
Um, the defense is, it's just going to be bad. Uh, we know that. Uh, for me, my worry is, is the same as yours, where it's just, I think Brandon and Zion are just a really not synergistic fit. I mean, Stone, you were a, a, a Lakers fan. You watched Brandon develop um, before he really became the shooter he's known as today. But I think even that shooting can sort of overrate the fit they are together when in a lot of ways they just – they are they both are players who need the ball and one of them is clearly more – should be more entitled to it. It's just – I'm with you. It's just a weird fit. Stone, I don't know if you have any thoughts on the Pelicans and what you're looking for. Yeah, um, I mean, I am a Lakers fan, and I got to witness probably one of the worst rookie years ever with with Ingram. It was pretty terrible, but um, he's obviously developed into he is a he's a really great player, and as good as Zion is, I think Ingram individually gets a little bit overshadowed. Although this is Zion's team, and I think they need to move forward um, with that being as such. Um, Ingram is hypothetically like on paper you may think the sort of um number two guy that that should be ideal next to zion but at this point it just doesn't seem like he is and i think zion is deserving of it but he's not the easiest person to build in terms of the team construct um and i think ingram is just not somebody that is going to really maximize what zion can do and is going to um in some ways highlight some of his weaknesses because um ingram has some of the same weaknesses especially on the defensive end so i think if um it's probably not something that's going to happen maybe this season but ingram may not be the guy they want to move forward with alongside zion um i did like the upgrade from from steven adams to valanchunas this season because i think Valanciunas is going to offer a lot more offensively where people were skeptical of the Adams um, acquisition from the get-go and and it turned out to be rightfully so because Adams just couldn't maximize a lot of the opportunities Zion created like Zion's a really good interior passer and Adams blew a lot of open looks and easy looks and I just don't think Valanciunas is really going to do that. Um, you're not really giving up a whole lot from a, a screening perspective where Valanciunas is going to be able to offer a lot of that for Zion as well. So I think overall, that's a, that's a really big upgrade for them. Um, and he can space the floor a little bit more, not a ton, but he's been working on a three point shot a little bit. So even if he can space the floor to 18 feet, that's a huge upgrade from Adams who is pretty much ineffective from anything more than five feet. So um, that that's a big uh, positive for them um as far as the guards go I, I do agree with matt that lonzo um no matter how you view him i know he's sort of a polarizing player a lot for a lot of people but uh for this team specifically i think his skill set actually does help maximize um zions to to a degree so losing him is um probably a bigger uh a bigger loss than some people realize so um, Devontae Graham was a good get because of the shooting aspect, but uh, they they have a lot of work to do. This is not uh, by any means a um, nice functioning team or well-oiled machine or anything. They have a lot of work to do to get there, and I think uh, their current roster is a step in the right direction a little bit in comparison to last year because they don't have Bledsoe and they don't have Adams, but 
um, they, they need to do a lot more work to really start winning with Zion. I feel like with them, with Zion in particular, I think part of the issue is they found that the, their best strategy was to give him the ball and let him be the absolute monster. Cause like he really is, you know, he profiles as just, this guy's going to be an MVP candidate. I mean, he, he's just does, he's, he's unstoppable. <laughs> There's just no way to stop him. Like, this is what's crazy is they don't have a great roster. They've had all these issues. They had Bledsoe dragging him down last year. The Steven Adams fit wasn't good. And yet like, you still saw them hanging around and within range of making a run until late in the year, just based off of the fact that Zion was nuts. And I do like the fact, like there are guys in this team that I think makes sense. Like Sadoransky is a guy that I don't think will play that much, but he's a guy at least I will be like, Oh, at least Sadoransky will bring the ball up and throw an entry pass to Zion. Like the ball will go where it needs to go. Like so much of this is just, you need to look like, you know what you're doing. I do feel like with Ingram, so much of it comes into, I don't think it's fair to Ingram either because he makes this, he gets the new Orleans. He starts taking more threes. He makes this enormous leap. And then all of a sudden it's Zion's team, you know? And it's like, he was supposed to be the guy in, in LA. Like he was going to be the guy to bring the Lakers back. Oh, nope. Shipped out. And then he gets to new Orleans. It's like, okay, like I'm going to take, I'm going to rebound my career. And he brings himself back up. Up, oh, nope, it's Zion's team. And it just, it doesn't feel necessarily fair to either one of them. I do wonder if Zion is a guy for both stamina and play style, if it's easy to kind of build a heliocentric system around him, the way that, you know, the Hawks have done to a degree with Trey and that the Mavericks have very obviously done with Luca. Like, can you build just a system where it's basically, three shooters and one, you know, rebounding big man that can space the floor a little bit. That's one of the, I think the advantage with JV is he's got like a solid mid range shot. I agree with stone. Like I think the JV combo is going to be solid. That's a really good combo. They, they should be able to be a lot more productive, but in terms of trying to balance around them, I think it's, it's difficult in some ways. Yeah. And I think Zion is, worthy of, of, of experimenting and trying to find that that perfect team that really maximizes him because he has the um the talent and the ability to be one of these sort of generational type guys that probably gets overused a bit but zion is uh, one of the few guys that's probably c- capable of reaching that uh sort of label or description and i think it's worth trying to figure it out around him but i do agree where it's it's probably not the easiest skill set to try and build around because there are uh, defensive deficiencies, um, shooting deficiencies, and those two things. Um, it, it's not like Valanciunas is is a solid combo, but he's not like an ideal rim protector that you may want next to Zion. So uh, th- there's a little bit of give and take. It feels like with any sort of combination with Zion, it's just a matter of finding. Uh, what I guess the the most give is going to be able to maximize Zion. Uh, I think like Jackson Hayes is sort of the player they're hoping to develop to be the ideal big for him, but he still seems like a long ways off. He made a big uh, leap this past season, um, but if he can uh, sort of be the rim protector and, and floor spacer that I think they envision him as, that's probably the ideal uh, combination. It's just a matter of He's very raw, so it's going to take a little while for him to ever get there if he does. Yeah, uh, I I think my my thing 
It's just Zion might just be good enough. Um, there's there's a term that I, I think it's sort of new to the basketball less basketball lexicon, but it's one I really like. And it's like a sin eating forward, which is that power forwards lots of times are developed to just fill whatever holes a roster has. You know, the the most obvious example is Aaron Gordon, who has been eight different things over his career, depending on what the magic needed him to be. Uh, I think Zion might just be the ultimate version of that. Uh, I, you know, Matt, you'd be able to tell us the odds. Uh, I, w- I would consider putting money on Zion to win MVP this year. And like, I've already bet it, have already done so. Like, Zion is so good. And a fully healthy Zion with, with this roster is just like last year's was so incompetent that this slightly more competent roster might be the difference between one of the best rim pressure, rim gravity, rim finishing seasons we've ever seen, and the best. Like, Zion might just, this next year of his career, next couple years if he's healthy, be the greatest rim force we have ever seen. Even more so than, like, a Shaq because he has more driving ability. He's more compact. I mean, his numbers are absurd there. Uh, I, I do like the shooting, and I, you know as much as we've talked about how we sort of dislike the Brandon Ingram fit, like I do think there is some sense to be made there. If Zion is your advantage creator and Brandon Ingram just completely buys into being your second side guy, much like, you know, a Giannis and a Chris Middleton, you know, as, as high of a bar as that is to reach. If, if Brandon Ingram just buy into, he's a spot up shooter. And then when Sion creates the action, he'll run a second side pick and roll or he'll get an ISO on a smaller guy or, or whatever it may be. If Ingram buys into that role and, and we just see the full unleashing of Zion as a very high usage, very high rim gravity guy, it's just, um, I, I, I think it might just trump uh, the, the, the roster fit issues we're talking about. And there are little Easter eggs of roster building. I like here, like I mentioned, like, Najee Marshall might be my ideal fit next to Zion. Um, if he could just shoot a little bit, if he could just like hit a spot up in the corner at like a 38% clip, like he's like my ideal fit next to Zion with how he like, passes, how he cuts. I like Najee Marshall. I loved how Trey Murphy looked the summer league. I was, I was blown away by how good Trey Murphy looked the summer league. He was, he was honestly the player and I wasn't there for the entire event, but he was the player that I saw that I, I thought had the best, like overall, like I three, four games that I saw the best overall performance of any rookie. And, and like Jalen put up points and scored and Cade looked like Cade and all these things, but like, and you know, Davion was great, but to me, Murphy's ability to look like, he just looked like he was like a level above everybody on both offense and defense. And that was really impressive to me. I was like, he, he looks NBA body ready. He looks NBA mindset ready. He looks like he's got the skill set. So like I was, I'm pretty high coming into the season uh, on Trey Murphy as high as I can be for a rookie. So it's like, okay, you got like Garrett Temple, who's like, he's a functional veteran, not great, but functional veteran. I still think Josh Hart um, can have a good run, especially after like basically being in a, all right, you're going to have to rebuild all your value to get your contracts. Um, Like NAW, like I like a lot of the guys on the roster I feel like they are missing the guy to tie the room together. Like they are missing the one guy that like puts it all together. Like here's a good example is if you swap Brandon Ingram and Malcolm Brogdon, what does this team look like? 
because you've got a 40% shooter who doesn't turn the ball over, who plays good defense and doesn't feel the need to go out and score 25. Like he doesn't want to be on the cover of magazines. Like that to me is like a big differential here of like what they would look like. And like, I think Brandon Ingram would be happier and better somewhere else. But I, I do agree with you, Bryce, that Zion is so like that comp of Giannis and Middleton, I think is great. Like that's a really great comp of, okay, one guy is just going to be so physically dominant that teams are going to have to throw bodies at him. And in the in-between gaps, you can be an efficient scorer who just kind of fills in those little possessions with all this other stuff while they're freaking out over Zion destroying. And you'll still wind up being a free, like an all NBA level two guard if you buy into that role. But, you know, this is all like offense and the offensive numbers are pretty good, right? Like 116 offensive running with the two of them on the floor. I don't know what you do about the defense. I, I don't know what you do about the defense. I don't know between like Zion's inconsistency and effort and his lack of like fundamentals. I don't know how much of that is that versus just like the way his body is built and it's hard to move a tank backwards. And like, I don't know about Ingram and, him, and his lack of like muscle size. So there's all these kind of things where I wind up looking at it and going, I'm sure that you can build a good defense but I don't have the answers for what, what the, that's going to look like or who's going to have to be the person to put that together. Yeah, I'll be honest. I don't know if there's ever a championship defense with these two. Um, I just I, – I, I don't think it's, it's really possible. Um, you'd have to go through some major shenanigans. I still think my ideal fit would be somehow to get Miles Turner on this team. You know, you'd have to give up JV – uh, but you know, you mentioned Brogdon and my brain immediately goes to another pacer, uh, Miles Turner, who I think is a kind of underrated passer, uh, a, probably a top three rib protector, him alone, defensive player in the league. Um, and just like really fills a lot of holes. Uh, you'd have to do so many things. I think that's, what's tough is long-term, you know, the Pelicans are sort of stuck. Like you had to pay Bro- uh, Brandon Ingram this max. You had to, I mean, we kind of have known from the second he got that max, like, is this fit with Zion really going to be ideal? And the answer is probably no. And, I, you know, I don't know where Brandon Ingram's trade value is. You know, if you could somehow swing him for a Bradley Beal or something, obviously there's that. But it'll just be really interesting to watch. This is one of my – I've already stamped him in as one of my five teams to watch this year. Um, I watch five teams every year, and I, that's sort of how I get my whole gauge for the league. Um, so they're in there, uh, but we're going to transition to the team that, that sent Jonas Valanciunas, uh, to the, to the, uh, Pelicans. And that's the Grizzlies, uh, and specifically their young star, John Morant, uh, Morant is electric. He's one of the most athletic point guards we've really ever seen. Uh, his, his transition game is impressive. He's a good passer. Um, and he's helped this team be a near playoff team two straight years, or I guess last year they were a playoff team uh, because they beat the Warriors in the play-in. So, Matt, what are you looking for for Jaw to develop? And what did you think of this move to, instead of keep pushing for the 7-8 seed, to take a step back and just sort of take the foot off the gas and and see what you have here? I feel like so much of it is uh, less of a step backwards and more of a calculated risk of... I think that they feel like they can hang in the same level with the younger guys. Like, all right, the justice 
entire experiment was a debacle. They were really good before then, in part because their bench was lights out last year. Like DeAnthony Melton, Tyus, Desmond Bain were terrific. And then they inserted Justice Winslow because they're like, we got to figure out what we have here. And everything went to shit. <laughs> and it was really difficult for them. And so they cleared that out. The JV move, I do think, is really pretty tough. Like that one feels mostly financial. It feels very much like the Grizzlies after a pandemic were very much like, cut down on some salary here and made some moves to get it to where they wanted it to be and that's i don't try and it's not that i don't think that those things are worth judging if you're fans i just don't feel that for me personally i have any sort of like advantage in doing it it's like i can yell and scream about how they shouldn't have done this but small markets are gonna you know owners are gonna be cheap that's just what they all do they're always looking to to compete with each other for making money um, as much as they are winning championships as far as jaw you know, look, you dig into the numbers with, with Ja. He's a player that I don't think like the eye test does not match a lot of the metrics at all. Because the metrics are, are typical, are, especially last year, were kind of like, oh, not great. And then you like watched him and you're like, Ja's amazing. Ja's the, the second coming. Like he's manna from heaven. And it's not that I don't think he's as good. I think that he's still trying to figure out ways. This, I think, is his biggest problem. And he figured it out late in the year. And I thought it was a really great example of of development in season. He had a real problem late in games for the Grizzlies last year of trying to go for the kill shot every single time. He was going for home run after home run. Can I dunk this over three dudes for the game winner? And instead, like down the stretch, he learned, okay, let's run clock. Let's get a good possession. You have to learn to value possessions. And so I thought that he took real strides in that and in learning control of the game as he learns to translate his athleticism into controlling the game more rather than trying to use his athleticism to shape it, which you can do early in your career, but it's hard to do sustainably and versus the better teams. He's only going to get better. Um, I have a lot of confidence in the shooting form. I feel like the, the, the three is going to come around in time. I don't think that he is always going to be a poor shooter and he shows stretches of shooting well. So I kind of have confidence that in one of these years that his shooting form is going to kind of stabilize and he'll at least turn into, you know, 35, 36% from three. And that's going to open up a lot because if you can't play back against him to the rim, then, you know, his, his explosiveness and his ability to make plays for others, I think is terrific. I still like the core around the Grizzlies. I'm still really high on where this team is going this year. I think Tillman, I think showed a lot of like, they, they definitely, you could tell in summer league that they were like, Hey, we want you to play a little bit of point center and just try and like focus on defense and playmaking. And he did a ton of that. And it was promising. Um, they put the ball in Bain's hands to be like, Hey, we're going to need you to actually be able to create a little bit on your own here. Um, I think they're in a good spot. I think the biggest thing with jaw is, he's going to have to sharpen up more as these things go on. And again, I think so much of it with him is he wants to go for like, he just wants to be amazing every single play. And that's admirable. And it's one of the cool things about him. And I hate to see him lose it, but his career will be better served by him being like, no, you know what? Like I can just drive here against this. I can create a, they're switching. I'm going to create a switch. I'm going to draw a foul on this guy. I'm going to get two free throws. And I'm just going to slow the game down a little bit. That understanding of how to manipulate the game, I think is what's next for jaw. And it's an important one, not only to improve his efficiency, but to protect his body a little bit as well. Yeah. And I think uh, uh, something that's going to probably not get talked about very much, um, uh, which understandably so is the Adams and Bledsoe acquisitions. Like I think both of those guys are going to be nightly rotation guys. 
Like, I don't think either Bucks of them. Bucks is on the Clippers now, right? I believe. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, oh, well, he, he's not on the Grizzlies. They, they traded him for Patrick oh. Beverly and then Beverly. they traded and, and Rondo. Beverly. And yeah. then just like kept down. I described yeah. the Grizzlies trades as Russian dolls. Yeah, dolls, I where think, you just yeah, keep taking it off, and there's a little, there's a smaller one, and then way down at the bit at the bottom is this tasty nugget, and that's cash for Robert Para. That's what's <laughs> at the bottom of that entire list. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, just disregard that part, I guess. But uh, I think I think something that is probably gonna with, with Adams on the floor now, I think it forces Jaw a little bit to be a little bit more of a floor spacer because they they've probably decreased their shooting a little bit, which is fine. But I think, um, and I agree that long-term, I think Jaw is going to be a good floor spacer, probably never like a high volume type guy, but yeah. if he's, um, you know, at least able to expand that portion of his game, that, like you said, just opens up a lot for him. It, guys no longer have to fight over screens and he has to consistently um, create for himself to get down the lane. So if he's able to be forced into that role a little bit more, I think that can be really helpful. And we saw it during the later portion of the year where he was getting more comfortable with his shot as, as time went on. So, um, and now that uh, Melton is going to be there um, in an increased role, hopefully uh, this season, um, his defensive playmaking hopefully will open up a Jaws transition game as well. So uh, I think there's a lot of um, little nuggets of things that, probably go under the radar in terms of Jaws development this coming season that are going to help him uh, in the long run. Yeah, I think the Grizzlies have done the best a team could possibly do at building around Jaw. And what they are in the future will depend entirely on what level of star Jaw it will be. Um, I love Dylan Brooks. I have always loved Dylan Brooks. Um, I remember him killing my kooks at Oregon. Um, I am a big Desmond Bain fan. I think Xavier Tillman makes a lot of sense as the long-term center here. Jaron Jackson Jr., of course. Uh, I even Brandon Clark took a step back last year. I I love what he can bring. Like, there's just a lot of. I feel like the Grizzlies have done as good as you can do to build around a hyper-athletic point guard who is a good, not great passer, but when he makes good passes, they're huge advantage passes. You know, you mentioned him always wanting to hit the home run. That goes back to Murray State as a passer. I mean, and, and still, like, like he is trying to make advantage passes. It leads to turnovers. It leads to, you know, bad plays all the time. But he is really trying that. You've surrounded him by by high field guys who, who map the court well. Most of them can shoot. Most of them can defend. You've done as good as you can do to build a team around, around Jaw. It's just a matter of how good is Jaw Moran. Um, and that's tough to answer. It's like Matt said, like aesthetically, like he looks like he is a future top two point guard. Um, you know, the metrics would would disagree, but I also think there's something to be said for this team has has won. And it's one with him as the clear offensive engine even if he's not like the most efficient guy in the world right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think part of it too, is he's so productive, right? So there's efficiency and there's productivity. And I think that that's, he does manage to leverage his productivity into impact, which I think matters. You know, it's like 19, four and seven is a pretty freaking good line. Like you'll take that most nights from your guys, especially on what was a down year. He came back off of an injury and really struggled for the first two months. Like he was really poor the first two months and got better as it went along. And that's part of what, what's the struggle about, you know, all these conversations we're having is last year, 
it's so difficult to get a sense for who is on track, who is off track, who like, I even think that in some ways from talking to people, like some organizations have been like, yeah, we're kind of reevaluating this guy or this other guy. And I'm, I'm always kind of like, I would just want to throw out last year because it was insane. And you literally couldn't do things like have a meeting um, and those kind of things. But I do think that jaw is going to, I think this is an important season for him. You know, last year was messed up for a lot of reasons and they still managed to succeed. So this is kind of like what, this is what's really interesting is the Grizzlies were super young two years ago and made the play in. They were super young and really had a bunch of anchors last season and still made the playoffs. They get Jaron Jackson with a full off season back. You're I'm very hopeful that Brandon Clark can get back on track. I loved who he was as a rookie. The everything seemed to offer him last year. And that was rough. I think they know more about who they want to be and who they want to invest in now. And that's one of the reasons they made the moves that they did. But this is also, that's also a gamble, right? Like the Grizzlies are, are making a real gamble here by trading, you know, proven assets and elements of the team in Jonas Valanciunas um, and, you know, not keeping Bledsoe, even though Bledsoe was a, a drain on the Pelicans, like he's still like an NBA point guard. They've traded all these guys and didn't keep Beverly, didn't keep Rondo. And they're going really, they're focusing on, we believe in the young guys that we've drafted and developed. And that works until it doesn't. And if it, if there's a bunch of guys with this team where if Jaw doesn't take a step forward with his efficiency, if Jaron Jackson doesn't develop some sort of offensive move that he can go to when his options are limited, um, if Brandon Clark doesn't you know, really step up, if Desmond Bain takes a step back shooting or if the, the Anthony Melton and Tyus Jones aren't as good as they were last year, there's a bunch of ways that are Tillman, if he's not as, as good as they kind of project, there's a bunch of ways that this kind of goes sideways. And if that goes sideways, Jaws path will go sideways with it. But if they align, this team looks like it can make a major jump this season. Yeah. yeah. I think that so. that's kind of an important note is not all of this is necessarily directly dependent on Jaws development. I think some development needs to come from other players, especially in terms of playmaking, like you were saying, where, Jaw has so much pressure to create for this team every single time down the court. And if he's able to get somebody else just to alleviate some of that offensive burden, I think that's going to help him uh, even as a young player, because these guys can only take so much once it gets into the later portions of the season, when you're doing that night in and night out where you're consistently having every time down the court to have to make plays and initiate offense if you can get even a little bit of relief from somebody here and there, I think that'll make a big difference for him as well. Yeah. And, and I think in the end, um, it's just sort of it, a lot is going to fall on the shoulders of Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, you know, Matt said it best, like it's hard to really take anything away from from most players last year. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. ended up out of the playoff rotation because he just he just wasn't there. The shot was off. And when his shot's not falling, he doesn't offer much else. Um, I still believe in the upside of Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, Two-way upside. I think he'd be a really good defender. Uh, but he's had, you know, some derailments. And it's. I think a lot is going to depend on what he can bring in the long term. Um, but I, I think with that said, we're, we're good to move on to just just some more fun ones. Uh, these should go pretty quickly. But the first thing I, I want to talk about is 
a third year is, is really when we're starting to get to a player's kind of sink or swim point. It's, are these guys really like NBA players? Do they have real NBA upside? Um, there's obviously exceptions, but I think for a lot of guys, if they don't start really showing um, it, at least some sort of catch skill that can that can keep them around uh they're going to really struggle to find long-term payment in the league um so some interesting guys that, that i thought of and feel free to throw out some other guys kobe white seku Demboya. i brought up brandon clark he, he's a little bit different and we kind of had that conversation um and romeo langford those are kind of the three i'm really focusing on um if you guys have any others feel free to throw them out but i want to start with kobe white uh kobe white is going to be in a really interesting point uh with with the bulls this year uh probably gonna be the backup point guard uh probably gonna get sixth man usage at least at the beginning of the season and we're gonna see if he can handle it uh he's pretty much proven he's not a good defender um he just he really really cannot handle screens uh, at the nba level he just the point of attack it's a killer for him and then he's also not super um active off ball especially you know like like watching him play off the corner man, uh, whether it be uh, weak side or strong side, is is rough. It's it's it's, um, it's rare form in terms of just how uh, sort of frustrating it could be. Um, but he's flash shot making. He's very fast. Um, so like, what do you guys see from Kobe White? Do you think this he's an accurate sinker swim guy? And then what, what are your sort of predictions for whether he sinks or swims? Matt, I'll throw it to you first. I mean, I, think, I definitely think that it's a sink or swim situation because our tourist Karnasovas has set such a high bar. Like, look at how they've overcast this team. And, like, look at the guards that they brought in, right? Like, that there's a lot of competition now for minutes at his position. Um, it's not – I don't think – I haven't talked to our tourists, but I would say that based off of my understanding of how he values basketball, Kobe White's probably a player that frustrates him. I, one of the things that was tough last season was that, you know, Levine was brilliant. Like he was genuinely just incredible last season. And there's a lingering sense of, of skepticism, I think both around the league and from media folks about like, okay, good season. But like, is that really who Zach Levine is? Um, I want to believe. I want to believe in Zach Levine. I want to believe that he's made this leap. But one of the things that was frustrating was Kobe White would get in these games where Zach Levine would have 39 going into the late stages of the fourth quarter. And Kobe White's like, don't worry, man, I got it. And you're like, no, like that, that is no, that is not the move that this is the perfect opportunity for you to take advantage of all the attention that he's drawing, but you should give him the ball and let him draw that attention. Um, I think his long-term kind of progress, I think he'll have a place in this league because uh, to borrow uh, a very uncomfortable type of Twitter handle, uh, he's a bucket. Like he is like, he gets, he scores and guys that can get points consistently. I, this seems a little probably below his station and I don't mean for it to be insulting. Cause to me, I'm just like, yeah, he's a, he's a veteran. He keeps, he's made money. Ish Smith is a guy that just bounced around and is a firebug point guard that comes off the bench runs the offense, scores a little bit, and fills some minutes. And that, to me, feels like what Kobe White's eventually going to be. I think that he could have probably been more, but he just he seems really intent on either chasing a contract or what he sees his career as, rather than being able to understand, like, look, you may, if you're that guy, 
And maybe you are, maybe that guy is in there. Like you are a superstar. You need to put that aside and win now with a team that's ready to win now with players that are better right now. And then as you get better, you'll take more of a role. Like Paul George did this with the Pacers and like worked his way in and eventually became what Paul George is now. And there's no comp between Paul George and Kobe White for a lot of reasons, but it's more a matter of, to me, a lot of the issue is White's skill set does not justify his decision making. And until that balance improves, I, I have a hard time, you know, getting onto him about defense because there's so many bad guards in the league defensively right now. There's just not point of attack is the weakest point in the league. That's why everybody runs drop coverage. But you know, you still got to be able to get over the screen. You still got to be able to do basic stuff. And even if you're below average there, it's okay if you can make it up on the offensive end, but you need to be able to make other guys better. I thought, however, I thought that, and it surprised me because I thought after the trades, he would get worse and being benched, he would be shaken. It, it seemed like a little lit, a little bit of a fire under him. I liked a little bit more of what I saw him late in the year. It was almost like he was like, oh, I'm like really being de-emphasized. Like it kind of got through to him. So I'm hopeful maybe that he carries that over and just like goes in and competes his ass off and, you know, fights with Caruso for minutes and winds up being like the offensive balance to Caruso's very low usage operations off the bench. And maybe that works out. But I do think that this is a tough situation, I think ultimately for him because of the standards that the Bulls are now trying to set. Yeah, it's it's always tough for a young player who who's like, ideal development requires usage um to be on a team that does not want to give him usage um it sort of reminds me a lot a lot of the emmanuel moutier nuggets situation um for for various reasons um though it's a little different because it's not like they drafted levine who took his spot like they drafted murray who took moutier's spot but i just think some of that is like Kobe White reminds me a lot of Emmanuel Moutier as a player, like very, very talented mid-range scorer, very quick and gets to the rim, but a bad finisher. Um, and then really like horrendous defenders. Um, I will say like guard defense is something that generally doesn't matter to me either, but like, I, I at least like to see you try yeah. and, or at the very least provide some, like, like watching Kobe White never ever dig is just like, like I couldn't imagine being a Bulls fan. Like I've never seen him dig like once since well, high school. But and especially with the scheme that they're running now, because you can build an effective defense for the regular season, for the regular season, very and lots of asterisks there around that one to bold it. Um Billy Donovan has proven that he can build a pretty good defense. Like he did really good work with the Bulls actually last year, if you look at the numbers. Um and Frank Vogel and Steve Clifford have proven that you can take Nikola Vucevic and actually build a pretty good defense around him if you play drop well. But if you're not getting over screens and you're not digging correctly, you're going to be in a world of trouble with Vucevic as your main man in those actions. And he's going to be on the floor for most of the time. So like that stuff that you're talking about, there are teams where I don't honestly think it matters as much because either they've got the rim protection or um, you've got the amount of contain on the perimeter that you need. But with the scheme that, they're, that they have and the personnel that they have, you can't be a less talented offensive player than Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan 
and also be a defensive weakness, especially when Caruso is going to come in and, and really shine on that end of the floor. So like, this is, I, I want to see what happens though. Like maybe he comes in and just like busted. I always want to believe that these guys can, can get it, but him, like a lot of other guys, I think so much of it just comes down to somebody like he has to come to the understanding of who he's going to be in the league and focus on that rather than the guy that's going to get the $35 million extension. Yeah, exactly. I think Kobe white is one of those guys who is just one of the best exercises in thresholds. Like what threshold as a scorer do you have to reach to make money in the NBA and be a real positive player? If the only thing you contribute is scoring Um, and and Kobe white's going to be an interesting test case in that there's always interesting test cases in that Uh, stone. If you have anything to say on Kobe white, go ahead. If not, we can move on to Seku. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the final thing I'll add is just the the amount of guards the Bulls now have that are might be more useful than Kobe White. Like, at this point, Io DeSumo might be a more useful player than Kobe White for this team. Yeah. Whether that opportunity comes to fruition this year is yet to be determined. Um, but he's probably a more valuable archetype for what this team construct needs than Kobe White. So he has real competition and he's going to really have to earn his playing time this season because um, it is very much a sink or swim situation for Kobe White. And if he, you know, quote unquote sinks, uh, he's still an NBA player and he's young enough where some other NBA team will still happily trade for him. But the, the value and how he's perceived in the league will definitely go down quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we will not start up the the Iota Sumo debate against Stone. That will not turn out well. <laughs> um, I'll just say that, uh, you know, Iota Sumo might be a more valuable archetype. David Johnson would have been a better version of that more valuable <laughs> archetype. Uh, but with that being said, we're going to move on to Sekou Demboya. Sekou Demboya was just traded to the Nets. Actually, in between me writing this doc and us actually recording this pod, he was traded. So a different developmental context for him. One I like a lot. Uh, Sekou was a guy I was very high on. I want to say I had him fifth in his draft year on my board. Like I was very in on Sekou. 6'9", very athletic, uh, has flash ball skills, can can kind of shoot maybe. Um, and I really like, I really like the Nets fit for him. So Matt, let us know like what you think of Seku first and foremost, and then what you think of his newfound home. Uh, he again is a guy that I think the idea of him is so much better than the reality of him where it's like, okay, like for this, this podcast, I was doing prep and I was like, all right, I'm gonna go over some, some Seku numbers and you open up the sheets and you're just like, oh God, oh, it's so bad, so bad in so many ways. And like, it's limited minutes. That doesn't necessarily vibe with like how it felt watching him, which is when I watch Pistons games late in the year, because I hate myself, like I actually was enjoying watching him play. Like there would be these moments and flashes and like, that's what you're looking for, right? Is like, those flashes of play that if you can flesh those out and make it work, then maybe you can transition. I- I'll say this. I think one of the concerns is um, the league. I always am, am hesitant about this stuff because um, gossip and scuttlebutt gets around about guys and it doesn't always reflect the situation because those guys aren't involved in it. Right. Like they're not there to defend themselves and be like, well, actually this guy was the asshole, but 
it's not great that the Pistons were like, all right, we're going to see what we got with Seku. And then immediately afterwards, we're like, all right, we're trading him to the Nets for nothing. Like, that's a bad sign that that's like how this wound up working out for him. Um, it's going to be hard, obviously, for him to get minutes on a veteran team that's competing for a championship if they retain him. If he bounces around somewhere else, I can see him maybe getting minutes. Like if, you know, a team like OKC or Houston, one of the rebuilding teams wants to take a flyer, I think he's worth it because I still like a lot of what he brings to the table in terms of in-game stuff. But there is kind of this idea that he does not commit himself to the understanding of concepts, to putting in the work on the off-court stuff, to the development side. And that is one of the reasons why the Pistons were ultimately like, we got other guys that we're going to give minutes to. Like, we, do we, we don't, we're not going to spend any more resources on this. And I think that if you're a guy that the Pistons are like, we don't have the time for you, that's a concern because they're a team that has a lot of time for pretty much everyone. Um, and so I think that that's, that's I'm trying to, to, to find the difference in years past. I would be like, no, like you can see the things that he does. And like, I believe, and you can get caught in being too adamantly optimistic. I want to, I always try and be like, but he can change this. He can get things back on track with the right opportunity. I don't know. Brooklyn's going to be that. Um, but I do think that ultimately, like, I think, he brings some things to the table, but it's going to take somebody really believing that they can pull all that and make it into something. Cause like part of it even is he does these random things, but I don't necessarily have a, a strong idea of what he would be in the league. If he turned into a rotation player, like what, if he's not good enough to fit around, then what role would he play? And you don't have to have like a traditional role. He can just be a guy that does stuff but you still need to have an identity. And that I think is one of the, the struggles I think with him is trying to figure out what would that identity be even for as young as he still is. Yeah. And I think from the Nets perspective, there's sort of two ways to look at this moving forward with, with Jamboya is uh, on, on one hand, you can see him as a guy who could potentially fit along the pieces you have as a very low usage guy who does who provides the ancillary skills that they may need on the perimeter uh, and on the other hand, you can see this as a championship team with a young player who does not match their timeline and is going to need a lot more time to develop. So uh, there's sort of two two ways to view that. Um, and as far as the, the Pistons giving up on him, it is not a great look. Um, it, it's, it's hard to say because I just don't have any intel on that situation, but um, to have a young team give up on a player two years in is not great. Um, however, the I guess the rationale behind it is you do want to see some sort of progression from a young player, and there really hasn't been that. It's been a lot of uh, regression uh, or stagnation, I should say, with, with some aspects of regression in, within his game, and that's generally not a very good sign for a young player. You want to see them get better. You want to see them improve upon their weaknesses, um, and even their strengths as well. And I just really haven't seen that on a consistent basis with Dumboya. Um, not that he's been in a consistent role. Dwayne Casey seems to move his role around a bit, and that may be some of where the identity crisis as a player comes from. Uh, but I, I think there's things to work on with. There's things where you can mold Dumboya into the sort of rotation player you want him to be but it's going to be a very uh, early timeline type team, like maybe the uh, Magic or the Rockets that are willing to take that time to develop him in, into what they want him to be 
if there's something there. Um, so I'm personally not a huge fan of Dumboya because of the fact that I just haven't seen a whole lot of progression since he's entered the league. Uh, but I understand why you may want to take a chance on him for maybe one or two more seasons. So what I'll say to sort of uh, kind of give the other side is why I like the Nets fit is um, one, I think there's more minutes available than we sometimes think of with like these good veteran teams uh, just because I mean, Kyrie is, we're probably going to be lucky if he plays 40 games. Um, I could see them trying to take Harden and, and KD easy. I just like, I don't think the Nets care at all about the regular season this year. Um, they could probably phone in 20 games and still be a top three seed in the East. Uh, I just, I think there's more minutes there for him. And I also think like, I get what you guys are saying where like there, there hasn't been the progression that we want and um, like sort of to develop him into what he needs to be. Maybe he needs to be on a bad team, but I actually think that freedom has maybe hurt him. I thought that freedom maybe hurt him last year. I think he's the type of guy who scaling him down and telling him you are going to do these three things and this is how you're going to develop could actually really help him. Um, maybe he's not sort of the high upside guy I thought he could be. And maybe instead he's a lot closer to a Dorian Finney-Smith, which is fine because every team in the NBA would benefit from having Dorian Finney-Smith on the roster um, to varying degrees, obviously. But like, if that's what he is, that's Dorian Finney-Smith is a very valuable player who fills a couple of roles for a, a Mavericks team that, probably would be lost in, in some situations without him. So that's sort of my Seku optimism is just, he's a wing. I love wings. You find, you find a spot for him if you can. Um, so yeah, uh, with that being said, I think we can probably move on to the last of these guys and that's Romeo Lankford. Um, Romeo is just really interesting. He, he was the 14th pick uh, in the 2019 draft, which would have been low if you looked at his RCI rankings, but would have been high if you consider his year at Indiana. So it, it's sort of an interesting draft spot for him, and he hasn't really done much of anything in the NBA. Matt, you mentioned you were at Summer League. I don't know if you saw Romeo, uh, but but what do you think of Romeo, and, and what do you think of his fit on this weird Celtics team? I mean, he, like the rest of the Celtics, until that championship game, looked awesome. Like, it looked just – they were they all looked incredible. Um we're going to talk about Neesmith here in a little bit. He's the guy that I was like, circle, 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 circle on like, this guy's going to, going to make a leap. Um, you know, Langford, I will say that the Celtics fans are under the understanding that Langford's like real on the cusp right now of like, whether or not he's going to be like on the roster or whether they're going to clear him um, and make room for somebody else or, or whatever. Like, I think he's, he's definitely at the end, I think of, uh, the Celtics kind of uh, prospects and that young bench they, they built with Peyton Pritchard and Neesmith and, and then Romeo Langford. I like a lot of what he brings to the table. Um, I think that the shooting looked a lot better in summer league, which is obviously like the biggest thing is you need, if you're going to be a guard, you kind of need to be able to, to shoot a little bit more effectively. Um, I like a little, I'll say this, like, I think he has a little bit more, in terms of shaking his game than he's shown. And I think that that could wind up being something that helps. Ultimately, I kind of am on the fence of, I, I think not all the Celtics guys are going to work out. And it feels like Langford is probably going to be the one that doesn't. And he's one that I think even more than Dumboya, I think I have, I have a harder time 
seeing the flashes in terms of being able to understand what's going on the court in part, because I just think um, having the ball in your hands demands a lot of, of guys. And I think I have a little bit of concern over whether he's going to be in a position to make those kind of decisions going forward. I think he's real on the edge of, you know, maybe having to rebuild a little bit of his career. Yeah. Uh, Romeo is a guy I've never really been in on. Uh, I had him in the forties in his draft year. I was just, I I've never really seen what he does good enough to make an NBA roster aside from B, you know, he's like six, four and he's pretty athletic. Um, he clearly does have some shake, but I don't know if he's like, if that's enough. Um, he's sort of a iffy defender. He's flashed um, real moments as a point of attack guy, but he can get lost and he's still not like super strong. Um, he is really not a good shooter. Um, there's this funny thing with Romeo where every time his shot has ever been questioned, uh, he had an injury. Uh, he's had a wrist injury or a hand injury or a ligament yeah. issue in his right hand for like eight years now. Um, and it's sort of suspicious. I don't know how much of it is real and how much is this sort of weird hiding of his jump shot. It's just never really looked good. He's never looked comfortable taking it. Um, and if he can't shoot, uh, you know, I, I don't always like to narrow it down to that because sometimes that's really unfair, but if Romeo Lakeford is one of those guys where if he can't shoot at a, at least league average level, I really don't know if there's a role for him in the NBA. Um, maybe as like a backup scoring guard who plays some defense. Uh, but even then, you know, you know, is that Corey Joseph type guy maybe, but it's just sort of iffy. Um, so at least that's where I'm at with Romeo. I know that's maybe lower than some and probably lower than Celtics fans want to hear, but uh, I'll make it up to you with Aaron Neesmith. I promise. Yeah. And I think maybe the reason um, it's, more difficult to see those flashes is because there's it's more difficult just to watch Langford like he's played a total of 50 games in his two-year career like that's a very very low sample size um and not necessarily that he is worthy of of more um it's just that it's very difficult to get a read on such a low volume and such a low um number of games however like I said, you, you want to see some sort of progression from young players. You, you want to see them not stay stagnant, and you want to see them uh, take take some sort of leap in, in at least one area. And Langford really hasn't done that. Like, he's he can create for himself, but it's not very functional because he can't capitalize on it. Um, he's an okay defender with, with some flashes here and there, but it's just not – on a consistent basis from point of attack level or anything. So there's, there's just not enough things for me to really view Langford as worthy of putting like enough resources in to make him a viable rotation player. Um, he is still only 21 years old and he's played a very limited amount of games. So another team I would imagine probably takes him on uh, if, if he doesn't spend much longer with the Celtics, but I just don't really see what he provides to any sort of winning context, really. Yeah, I think we're all on the same page uh, with Romeo. 
Um, but we're, you know, that was sort of a, a maybe downer segment. We're going to move on to a happier one. Uh, and we'll try and go a little quickly here. Um, but we're going to talk about guys who didn't do much their, their rookie season, who we expect to take some leaps this year. Um, I'm just kind of, you know, I have a list here, but I, I think we can just sort of maybe say a couple guys we had our eye on, you know, Matt, you mentioned Neesmith. Uh, so I'll throw it to you first. Any guy you think uh, didn't really do much his rookie season, who you think uh, is going to step into a real NBA role this year. Uh, Raptors fans are very big on Malachi Flynn. Um, I had to watch Warriors Raptors. I did, we did these bet casts for the NBA and we're probably doing them again this year, which is like a betting focused, um, uh, stream on league pass. And we had Warriors Raptors and I was like, Oh, this will be fun. And then it was like, Oh, okay. Well, Kyle's out. Oh, that's too bad. And then it was like Steph and Draymond are not playing. And that was a game which the Warriors were down by 50 at one point. And it was one of the absolute saddest things I've ever seen. But Malachi Flynn looked great in that game with 16 points and plus 34 in the box score. Um, Neesmith, after summer league, I was like opening up the, you know, okay, if Steph gets hurt, who leads the league in three pointers? That's that's how crazy Neesmith was going in summer league. Is I was like, what if Aaron Neesmith leads the league and made threes? I, he was absolutely lights out. And the body looks really good, too. I thought he was impressive. Uh, Zeke Naji out of Denver, the coaches basically asked him in summer league. They, they've worked on two things with him, his body, because they need him to play uh, more four and five versus some of the three that he played last year. He looks like a tank. Did not play well in summer league, but he looks like a tank. He'll play better, I think, in organized, non-chaotic basketball. Um, Zeke, I think, is probably going to get a lot of minutes this year, and I think he's probably going to surprise people with his on-ball skills. He was, a, he was a really good shooter last year and brought a lot to the Nuggets, so I think he's going to be in a good spot. Kyra in New Orleans, I feel like we all want Kyra to be a thing, and the Pelicans brass wants Kyra to be a thing. And it just doesn't happen. Like maybe Willie Green will be the one that put him in and actually like really focus on him. In, but he never really seems to kind of get to that next level, whether to earn the coach's trust or earn the minutes or whatever. So like, I'm a little skeptical there. Um, Poku, I don't know what to make of. I have no idea. I don't even know what I'm watching when I watch Poku. I have no clue. I have no idea like how to process watching him. I'm just like, it's, it, it's like a deer that's somehow doing a hula hoop while also got like a flaming crown, but is driving a car and you're like, it's driving a car. And then you realize like, it's also got a hula hoop while on fire. It's very strange watching Poku. Um, and I don't know what to make of him. So that's kind of my take on the guys that you had listed. Um, I also think that if we're looking at, at other guys that might wind up making um, a, a leap this year, I think, I think Jay Sean Tate is in a pretty good spot. Uh, I think Obi Toppin is going to have, I think that the playoffs showed something. I think he's going to have quietly uh, a sneak. I think he's going to be a bigger part of the Knicks. And I think that he actually might be a little bit better. Like I want to think that there's like something there. Um, and then I just think like, look, the obvious one's Killian Hayes is like, you put him next to Cade, he's going to have to focus on defense and just like slashing. That's probably a good spot for him. Um and one more is uh, actually here's here's a guy I think I'm highest on out of all of like the chaos that is in Orlando is I think RJ Hampton is really going to show that he belongs in the league. I think there's a there's a good chance that RJ Hampton winds up making a, a real impact. So that's my list of guys. 
You are uh, just speaking Bryce's language here with Neesmith, Trey Murphy, and RJ Hampton. Uh, so yep. before before I let him go all in on his favorite guys, uh, I'm going to take my favorite guys here. With Malachi Flynn, I'm very high on. I think this is going to be a huge year for him with Kyle Lowry now, now out of the picture. Um, I think this opens up a huge opportunity for Flynn to really showcase his value, especially in the pick and roll. He's He's been such a... A uh, great operator of, of pick and roll for many years now. Um, and I think this is hopefully another step forward in his shooting. Obviously, as a rookie, you don't expect much in that department for most guys. But I think uh, this season, he has a real opportunity to improve those numbers. Um, Devin Vassell, I really like him long term. I just the, the Spurs seem to have a roster full of six, six guys. And I don't really know which of those six, six guys are going to be uh, breaking through for majority rotation minutes. Um, Vassal, you would think, takes another step forward uh, with minutes, and I think he provides real value as a point of attack guy defensively and then as a shooter, um, and he's an underrated self-creator. Uh, I'm huge Kyrgios fan long-term. I'm not really sure what their guard rotation looks like in Orlando, or uh, excuse me, in New Orleans, especially with their new coach, Willie Green. We just don't really know how he views these guys and how everything's going to shake out with Devontae, uh, with Sadoransky there, and Nikhil Alexander-Walker. That's four guys that are all guards that you don't really know who's going to be valued over the other at this point in time. Um, Neesmith is a guy who uh, – I'll let Bryce take the majority reins on that one because <laughs> uh, I know that's his guy. Balmero is somebody I love. Um, I've been watching him for a long time in Europe now. Uh, he took a big step forward this year um, as a shooter uh, and also defender. Um, he's super crafty. I think he's going to have a real um, – be a real value piece for the Timberwolves uh, as soon as this season even, where I think he provides the guard defense they don't really have, especially after shipping out Ricky Rubio. So um, there's a real opportunity for him to provide value for that team. Uh, I know Bryce was super high on Popu pre-draft. I was fairly high on him. Uh, he was always viewed as sort of a project player, so I don't think it's too surprising that he was extremely bad his rookie year. Uh, but you see the flashes and you see what he can provide in all in all sorts of different aspects of the game. Um, he's certainly this is this was my sixth draft now, and he is the only player I've ever seen of his archetype. There's there's really nobody else like Pokashevsky out there. Um, one of the weirdest but most fun players to watch. Uh, and I think Matt's description of him is is probably the best I've heard. Uh, and then Zeke Naji is a guy who I, I, I'm fairly high on. Um, I'm not exactly sure how uh, Denver – I'm really hoping they utilize him as that sort of power forward where he spaces the floor um, but also can provide um, – maybe some secondary uh, rim protection where I think he's a little bit undervalued, uh, at least uh, Arizona. I think a lot of people have viewed him as a non-factor at some times as a defender, but I think he actually has a little bit of untapped upside in that regard. So those are sort of my views on those guys. Yeah. So I'll jump in and I'll try and be quick. First things first, Malachi Flynn, uh, former Coug, Tacoma legend. So, you know, he's, he's, exactly my type then he's also a point guard who i think can run a billion pick and rolls and have that be an efficient offense so you know he's 
three thrice times speaking my language. Um, I think he's going to be very good. Uh, the threshold he reaches as a starting guard is still maybe a question. He might end up being a, a very good backup. And if that's what he is, then that's not a bad use of the 29th pick. Uh, Alexei Pukasevsky, I feel like his weird development is not talked about enough. Um, he's on this list. He will not be good this next year. I, I that my prediction is not for him to be like a valuable NBA player. How do you judge if he's good or not, Bryce? Like, I don't even know how to pro- like, I this is the thing is people are like, yeah, but he's not good. And I'm like, I don't know how to tell, like, look at the man. Like, I don't know what's happening. I think what I'll say with, with Poku is that this year is going to be where his role starts to solidify, uh, whatever that may be, who fucking knows. Um, uh, you know, you described him as a uh, 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 deer with the flaming crown made me think of the Baratheons. So uh, anyways, I don't know if I have any Game of Thrones fans in the audience, but uh, Alexi's um, like developmental curve is really weird because he was someone who was clearly too good for the Greek B-League, but uh, Panathinaikos, who he was playing for, was trying to hide him from the NBA. So they kept him there and he would bounce back and forth between playing like 35 minutes to playing like five minutes in a game and that just does weird things for your development he felt like he had to show out to get to the nba i think and he still hasn't quite got that out of his system i mean he's ultra confident uh he is like a seven foot two guard i think that's really what his role is um like a seven foot uh shooting guard on offense small forward type on defense um i think there's real upside as a secondary rim protector as a spacer as a passer who can run an occasional pick and roll like there's so much weird real upside with him and there's no better place on earth for that to develop than Oklahoma City right now um the other guy I'll hit on is Aaron Neesmith uh just he is like he had statistically one of the greatest shooting seasons ever in college um and he's also 6'6 built really strong and a great athlete um, he, looks I, bigger. he looks like a tank yeah, price. He looks like a tank. He is fucking huge. And and Stone knows I am a sucker for uh for for muscle dudes. I just I don't know what it is. I just it's probably because I'm 6'2, 230, and that's where that comes from. Uh, but he like like he looks huge. He was kind of like a little skinny in, in college during that sophomore year at, at Vanderbilt, but not anymore no he is huge he looks like a legit three um and if that's the case that only increases his value if he could be a three four rather than a two three um and and his shooting is insane movement like like he reminds me a lot of Duncan Robinson as a shooter uh he might not be that effective but I actually think the releases may be even like potentially more versatile because he looks a little bit more comfortable in pull-ups um at this point in his career so it's it's just like I'm a huge uh, Aaron Neesmith fan. I had him very high in his draft year. Um, and Zeke Nagy, I like a lot too. Uh, their front court rotation, Nuggets front court rotation is going to be really interesting. Um, but I really like him. He he had a bad summer league, like like statistics wise, but he still looks like what you expect him to look like um, in terms of a versatile defender. Uh, so yeah, this is like there's a lot of interesting guys. Uh, last year was just a bad year to be a rookie, to be completely honest. Um, but for some of these guys, it might have been a good year. And that's going to take us to our last somewhat negative segment. And that's just, I want to ask you guys, like, there were some rookies who had good years who I think were maybe playing over their head. 
We always see this, guys. You know, even we mentioned Seku at the top. Seku, there were some people who would have said he was like top 10 in a redraft after his rookie season. And then it all sort of fell down. Um, I want to hear what you guys think might be some potential sophomore slumps um, from rookies who who really showed out, showed some promise. And this doesn't mean you have to write them off as players or anything like that, but just guys who you think maybe the expectations need to be tempered a little bit for. Uh, Matt, I'll throw that to you first. Oh, put me on the spot. Um, look, I'll say Emmanuel quickly just because – I think Derrick Rose is just going to get so many minutes. I just think that the guard rotation with Kimball Walker and Derrick Rose is going to be pretty solid. This team wants to make the playoffs. Tom Thibodeau's coaching it. Like, I feel like quickly maybe one of those guys that suffers just from a can't quite provide the kind of physicality that Tibbs likes and winds up drifting a little bit. So I think like that's maybe a candidate I like quickly a lot, but um, that's one I think that you have to look at. Um, Put me on this one's tough i'll tell you because i just think everything was so messed up last year that i don't want to like dismiss all these guys like i said jay sean tate but he's just he seems just as likely to fade right like houston's so inconsistent and has different priorities now with jalen and and kevin porter on on board so they're in a different kind of spot um I feel like the Isaiah Joe stuff seems too obvious. Like everyone's just, just like, Joe's going to be great. And maybe I feel like maybe that's reaching a little bit that maybe he might be a guy. Maxi, I think is probably the most interesting one, right? Like guys that have to play major minutes. If he presumably does next to Joel, it's just a very different ask rather than the bench units, which are a little bit more free and a little bit more egalitarian. A lot of guys struggle when, they go from bench units, which are like normal basketball teams that they played on for most of their lives to playing with starters where it's like, no, no, no. Like you're going to give me the ball because I have contract bonuses. I have to hit, give me the ball now. And so like those kind of politics and stuff come into play and it affects you. Plus you're like getting more attention and all that kind of thing. I, I feel like Maxie's maybe a candidate to underperform given that he just destroyed summer league and looked really good. It feels like, okay, this is like a sell high moment for Tyrese Maxey, but he is really good. So I have a hard time like finding real reasons why he's going to be, you know, bad um, or like really regress. The other one maybe is it, like, this one's a crazier one. Like I could not believe more in Patrick Williams, believed on him as a rookie, liked him as a rookie, loved what I saw him in summer league, excited for him with the bulls. I'm buying bull stock, but like those are typically the guys where it's like, and eh, nothing worked out. So like maybe Patrick Williams is a guy I will say, I think I can't find a lot of the guys like Tyrese Albert. And I don't have any sort of reason to think he's going to get worse. Cole Anthony disappointed me quite a bit. Like Cole was one that I thought like he was in a real, he was in a, like a, he got hurt, but he was in a prime spot to look really good when he was healthy and was just kind of like, yeah, pretty good. And now he's in the mix of like 900 guards in Orlando and I don't know how to separate them out. So um, those are kind of my, my thoughts, but I, I think, I want to be more forgiving with last year's rookie class more than any other in history. No summer league messed up year, no team meetings, very little player development. They got it worse than everybody else last year. And uh, I want to be more forgiving with them, but those are maybe the guys that I would say might be primed to disappoint just because of how high their stock is. Yeah. And I would agree. Like, this is not meant to be, like I said, this is not us writing off stock on these players long-term, but I just think, um, if anything, it's more a reaction to that, that I think some people are overrating or maybe underrating the, the issues last year caused and, and using that to have yeah. higher expectations for these players. Um, 
the one thing I'll point to with Maxi too is if he plays a lot with Joel Embiid, um, he's never ever been a good spot up shooter. Uh, that's just, he's not comfortable doing that. He's always been more comfortable with negative momentum on step backs and those type of shots because the shot is really far out in front of his face. Um, and he kind of has a weird lean to it. Um, he's never had to take spot ups in his whole life. He's always been an on the ball guy. Uh, you know, his best thing is generating rim pressure. And then with his crazy finishes as like a, just an absurd touch guy uh, when that goes away and your usage is almost entirely uh, run like a faux pick and roll to get the ball to Joel in the post and then space out and play off him. It's just different. Uh, and I'll be interested to see um, how Doc Rivers handles that. But yeah, I mean, last year's rookie class just had it straight up rough. I would say there was only one rookie last year that positively contributed to winning and that was Desmond Bain. Um and maybe that's that's going to tie into one of my sophomore slump predictions, and that's Lamelo Ball. Uh, I love Lamelo Ball. I had him one last year. I would take him one in a redraft in a heartbeat. Like Lamelo's my guy, but I think we have expectation, or I, I've seen expectations for him to maybe step up and be like a sub All Star. I think there's been some overrating at uh, uh, how positive a player he was in his rookie year. Um, he definitely had positives, but. He was not a good half-court player still last year. Um, the main thing he did was he got that team to run more, and he opened up a lot of things for other players with his passing, but he still has very clear efficiency issues, and he just he he hasn't quite figured out when the game slows down. He, he doesn't really run a great pick-and-roll yet. Not to say he can't, because I, I, I'm positive he will. Guys with that feel, that ball handling, that passing, just eventually run pick-and-rolls very well, but... I just, I, I think the expectations might be a little higher than what he's going to reach. Um, I'd even potentially say that with Anthony Edwards. The only thing with Anthony Edwards is Anthony Edwards has Carl Anthony Towns and Chris Finch. Um, and I just think they're going to put him into the better spot to succeed. I mean, what Chris Finch did with Anthony Edwards, basically playing him like Zion, just constantly getting him in movement uh, was genius and it did wonders for him. Uh, so, so like I'm very high on what Anthony Edwards might bring next year. Uh, but, but LaMelo might be my pick of the night. Also, this is maybe even a more controversial one than LaMelo, uh, because I'm writing, I'm writing about this team now, uh, is Sadiq Bay. Um, I like Bay, but I think there's some projection of him to be like any type of on-ball scorer. And I just straight up don't see it. I don't think the pull-up is, is that good. Um, the post game is, is funky, but it, it results in kind of bad shots you don't want your offense to result in uh he's not a great passer and he's not bursty so I think you know I've seen like Chris Middleton comps and it's just I think it's a fundamental misunderstanding of his archetype and and what he could be and I know that's mostly within the fan base and now that I'm somewhat a part of that fan base I'm, I'm more connected to it but I don't think Sadiq Bey is going to reach those lofty expectations placed upon him uh Stone do you have any sophomore slump guys yeah, there's there's actually one that really sticks out to me, uh, and it pains me to say this because I was very high on him pre-draft, but that's Denny Avdia, uh, and I know we had Matt Moderno on uh, to talk about the Wizards, and it was very, a uh, very somber mood, but that was before the Westbrook trade, so maybe things are a little more happy there. Uh, but I think with with Avdia, he I long term I still think he's uh, a good player. He's still only twenty, but. Um, he's a fairly good cutter and Westbrook is a pretty good advantage creator. So when you take away Westbrook and you bring in other shooters, 
um, and you're probably asking of Dia to be even more so of a cutter um, and, and be that sort of guy when he has less uh, advantage, less advantage creation around him. So you're essentially asking him to be better in a role where there's less of a, there's less opportunity to maximize that. So I think there's a real opportunity for him to regress in that department. Uh, unfortunately, at least offensively, defensively, I think he's a good defender actually, um, and has the opportunity to provide value on that end um, this season. So that that's probably my pick there. Uh, the other guy that I would mention too is Teo Maladon, who I'm pretty high on too long-term, but um, they brought in Trey Mann, they brought in Josh Giddy in an increased role with Pokashevsky, who's a weird guard, um, can take away some minutes for uh, Maladon, and maybe he doesn't have quite the role he had even in his rookie year. Um, I, I think he's worthy of it, but I, I'm not necessarily sure that's how the Thunder will view it. Maybe they want to experiment more and get uh, a little bit more um, even-keeled roster opportunity for these guys. So um, that's the other guy, not necessarily in terms of play, but more in terms of opportunity. Yeah, I th- and I think the tough thing with Teo is still just I, I don't think he's – it's tough to teach someone to be more selfish and take more shots, and I just – I still don't know if he has that. We will see. Um, if you guys have any more sophomore slump projections, uh, let me know. It's 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 hard. It's hard to pick like guys who you are going to be worse than they were the rookie year because regression is maybe the hardest thing to predict unless there's like really obvious statistical outliers. Um, right. and, and even that in basketball is harder than it would be in something like baseball. Uh, but we're going to end this pod on a, on a happy note. We've been here forever. I can't think about enough for his time. Uh, I just, who's the guy you are most excited to take a leap that you are, you're all in on this guy and you just can't wait to watch him. show everyone else why he's your guy. Uh, Stone, I'm going to throw this one to you first. You're muted, Stone. Uh, just one guy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, man. Okay, so I'll, I'll do my best here. Um, one guy I'm excited to take a leap that I think is probably like under under talked about maybe is the best way to put it. Um, for me, at least, would be uh, – that is tough. I, I do think maybe Jaden McDaniels. Um, I think he's got a solidified role on the Timberwolves. He's going to be able to provide something that they don't have a lot of as probably their best defender. Um, playing alongside Towns, who I think can is the ideal fit next to McDaniels uh, as a big. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity for him to grow at, um, offensively, too. He's he, as you hear my dog, um, he's an underrated creator um, who's really good at... Um, the dogs are barking for the Timberwolves, see? Stone's dog is a big uh, P&W prospect, and that's what oh, it's yeah. really about. <laughs> um, but uh, he, he has a role and value, and I think the Wolves would be foolish to not try to maximize that as much as possible. So that's, that's and one underrated guy, um, just because it's very difficult for me to narrow it down to one guy. The other guy would be Jalen Smith, um, who I think didn't get a whole lot of rookie run. I'm not sure necessarily if he'll get a ton this year, but um, there is a role there because JaVale McGee is old 
Um, and <laughs> there's there's not a whole lot of other big options there. We saw how poorly Sarge worked out for them as a backup center. Um, so if they have Jalen Smith there, who can be the, sort of the modern day big with, um, he has the ability to space the floor and be somewhat of a rim protector. I think that's some value as a backup center that gets overlooked a lot. So um, that's that's sort of my sneaky little uh, underrated guy. Can't believe Stone stole my guy. Of course, I was going to go with McDaniel's, but that's okay. Uh, Matt, do you want to let us know who you're thinking here? I love McDaniel's too. Um, a couple guys, RJ Hampton. I mentioned him earlier. I just I'm super high on RJ. Uh, he was a guy that I didn't, you know, I knew he was highly. He was a high prospect before he went uh, overseas to play before coming back to for the draft. And when he got to the Nuggets, I was really impressed because what I heard was basically like you know, Malone doesn't necessarily didn't have any sort of intentions. Like they brought in Paco Composo and all these kind of things. And RJ Hampton just busted his ass, everybody's ass in training camp, just came in and outworked everybody. He's one of the few guys I've seen that uses his athleticism in more than just getting to the rim to score. He uses his athleticism on closeouts. He uses his athleticism on rebounds. He uses his athleticism to get loose balls and being willing to do those things. I think it speaks to a lot of like why RJ's his attitude I thought was really great last year. Um, I think big things are in store for RJ Hampton. He's in a good spot there in Orlando. Um, I would say I actually I really like Juman Okiki. I, I think that he's uh, I, I, I can't believe I'm saying this because I currently have the magic slated for 13 wins. So not a lot of winning going on, but I do think that there's some actual talent there that's going to be able to at least show some things on a night to night basis and be like, Hey, you know what? They're not bad. And then finally um, to completely go back against what I was talking about, sophomore slump, uh, I Patrick Williams. I just think, I think this guy is a top level defender who's going to fit in great next to DeRozan ball and Levine. I love the bulls. I basically just decided you're either, you either have to be completely against the bulls or buy in. If you're going to buy in, you got to buy into Patrick Williams even more. So I doubled down. I've doubled my stock in Patrick Williams. And I think those are my three guys that I'm most excited for next season. I will say, if you keep bringing up players that we love, like Chumo Kiki, you're going to find yourself uh, with another invite coming up pretty soon here. Let's do it. Yeah. As soon as you said Chuma, I almost, I almost like burst out in tears laughing because like <laughs> RJ and Chuma is like, that's each of our individual guys on the magic that we're most excited to watch. Um, so I am the first guy, you know, Stone stole McDaniels from me. So I'm going to steal a guy that I can't believe he didn't mention. And that's Darius Garland. Um, Ooh. I think Garland might actually make like an all-star push this year. Wow. Like, especially if, I just worry Sexton's going to take too much of his usage for that. But like Garland is very good. He runs a very good pick and roll. He is a very accomplished shooter, good touch, makes smart passes. There's a lot to like with Garland. I'm, as I mentioned with, with Malachi Flynn, I am just a sucker for a point guard who runs like a really solid pick and roll, a really efficient pick and roll. It's still the most used play in basketball for a reason. And Darius Garland does it with the best of them, in my opinion. Uh, and I really like sort of the bigs they've paired him with. Even, you know, I know there's been a much malaise about malaise is the right word, but there's been, they've been, the Cavs were maligned for trading for, um, for Lowry Markinen, but even him, like I like as a fit as next to Garland, if you're going to work him as, um, as a role man or a pop man, I guess, or even if you're going to roll Jared Allen and, and let Lowry be a spacer, uh, I, I kind of like that fit there. Um, 
and then another guy I'll go with because I, I have to go. I have to go Pacific Northwest. I have to go Seattle. Uh, I'm going to go with Kevin Porter Jr., uh, former Cav traded for a fake second round pick. Um, I think there's a lot of usage to be picked up in, in Houston, and I think he's going to take it. He is like a top percentile ball handler, in my opinion, in terms of the shift, in terms of how quickly he gets into moves, how he sells moves. Um, he hasn't learned how to use his impressive tools to create for others yet. Um, and he might never, that's something that's hard to predict him learning, but, uh, he's going to get a year to see if he can, uh, he's going to pretty much be the point guard. Um, and I can't wait to see it because he has the handle for it. He gets to the rim, like no one's business. Uh, I buy the shot. Uh, I, I like what Jalen Greed could do off of Kevin Porter jr. Um, I don't love Sengun next to him, but that's, that's a story for another day. I do love Christian Wood there. Um, so those are my two guys. Uh, this has been incredible. We've been here like an hour and a half, so can't thank Matt enough for, for taking the time out. We well, you know he's a busy guy, but this has been like an awesome, awesome pod. I am just ecstatic to be recording this, to be talking about these guys, a lot of whom we haven't talked about on this pod yet. So it's really nice to sort of look back at the past drafts and how we see these guys continuing to develop. So Matt, thank you so much, my man. Tell the people where they can find you, plug all your stuff at HP Basketball. Just let the people know. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at HP Basketball. Uh, download the Action Network app if you just want to track games. Um, even if you're not into betting, it's got the fastest API speed. I've tracked it from the arena to a t- television monitor, and our feed updates faster than the television feed. So it goes from live action to our our app before it hits the TV feed. So if you want to be up to the second on stuff, check out the Action Network app. I've got a podcast that does NBA betting every Wednesday called Buckets. You can find that. We did a giant MVP breakdown over two weeks. It was absolutely massive. Uh, I may have taken a flyer on Zach Levine that I'm now regretting and asking myself, what have I done Uh, amongst other players? You can check that out wherever you get podcasts. It's buckets from the action network. Thanks for having me guys. Yeah, we appreciate it. Um, This has been a blast. Uh, We always love talking hoops and we've been recording now. What has it been like five or six months now? And we haven't really been able to discuss some of these sophomore and junior guys because we've been so enthralled with this year's rookie class so it's been cool to kind of uh jump backwards a little bit and and show our thoughts on these guys so uh, we've enjoyed having you on and we can't thank you enough for giving up all your time yeah we'll definitely we'll definitely have you back on uh later on uh maybe to talk about what we think of these rookies after their rookie season that could be fun uh this like i said this has been great uh follow stone at report underscore court. I'm at Bryce Hunter 14. Again, Matt is at HP basketball, capital HP. Um, we're at upside swings on Twitter. Uh, if you can like and review and share this podcast, that really helps us out. Uh, this has been awesome. We hope we hit our ceiling. Thank you.